Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Byers. Welcome back. Uh, this is part two of the freedom of forgiveness. And um, when we forgive others, we're also receiving healing for ourselves. And the reason is we're refusing to let the offender shape us and make us their victim because we can really feel like a victim. We're actually removing their attempt to dominate us because when someone comes and offends and harms us, that's a form of control and domination. R.T. Kendall in his book says, by not forgiving, by not forgiving, we allow the sins of others against us to doubly shape us. First in the original hurt and hurt registers, and then in the continuing bitterness and pain. And we have to stop being victims. Um, one of our biggest obstacles to forgiving is feeling, you know, that they have somehow deprived us of something important in our life. They've deprived us of something vital by harming us. But actually, their faults don't deprive, of, deprive us of anything. Yes, they can hurt us. I'm not saying that. And they can, people can, like on a material plane, deprive us of things, but not of what is essential. So Father Jacques Philippe wrote, Others cannot deprive us of the only true and lasting good, God's love for us and the love we have for him. Nobody can prevent us from believing in God, hoping in him, loving him everywhere and in all circumstances. There is within us something indestructible, and that's not touched by another, by the way that others are sinners can't prevent us from becoming saints. Nobody really deprives us of anything. We're not their victims. And we, we often feel like, you know, you've, you've harmed me and you've had this power to humiliate me. And so I may feel like, well, you're stronger than me because you have power to damage me. And so maybe if I humiliate you, I can now reestablish my self-respect but it doesn't work that way. It just can't ever come that way. And we have to renounce the satisfaction of seeing any kind of harm come to them. So when we forgive, it frees us from the injustice of others and opens wide the door for God to bring us his justice, probably not through that person, but to bring us his justice in his way. Uh, Father Jacques Philippe went on to say, we're as dependent on the people who hate us as we are on those who love us in disproportionate manner. When we foster resentment towards someone, we can't stop thinking about him. We're filled with negative feelings that absorb a large part, a large part of our energy, and I might add in our mental real estate. And so there's an investment in that relationship that does not leave us available psychologically and spiritually. So we're not available to others fully or to the Lord. That's something to think about. When someone has made us suffer, our tendency is to keep the memory of the wrong alive in our minds. And that's where we have to renew our minds. We have to use the discipline of renewing our minds. Uh, like a bill we want to produce in due time to demand settlement, but those accumulated bills end up poisoning our life and the evil we do or wish to do to others actually ends up harming you. You know, Luke 6 says that in the same measure I give to another, it'll be measured back to me. And that's either in blessing or in evil. 
So Corrie ten Boom wrote a book, Tramp for the Lord, and she'd come out of a Dutch concentration camp and had traveled for many, many, many years speaking and writing. And when she was in her 70s, a Christian couple really harmed her. And she writes about that and said, I realized I had to draw from God in order to forgive them. And she said that forgiveness started with a cold-blooded decision. And every time she would rehash it in her mind, she would have to come back and reiterate her forgiveness. She learned to put it away just as her sins had been put away. And she trusted God with her thoughts. She trusted God with her emotions. And she renewed her mind. So when we forgive, often that doesn't, sometimes it takes care of all the anger, but often it doesn't eliminate all the anger at first. Remember last time I said anger is our protest. Um, so it's a process with anger. We have to honor our heart. We have to honor we've had this pain, but we don't have to stay loyal to it. And we don't have to retain that anger, even if it was something horrible. Otherwise, it just keeps on defining us and it keeps us chained to it. And do you really want to be chained to someone who offended you and, and um, who has weak character? No, 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 no. Kendall wrote, forgiveness is not just an act of the will. Like Corey Tim Boom said, it started with a cold-blooded decision. It's not just an act of the will. It involves all the sensory functions. We have to superimpose the law of the spirit over the flesh and keep at it until all the sting is gone. So I like to say it this way. I keep reiterating and standing on the forgiveness I've given. Because these thoughts will come back and tempt me. These thoughts will come back and say, oh, you know, remember he said that, or, you know, this or that happened. And I can renew that whole thing and be angry all over again. Or I can say, uh, uh, no, I have forgiven the person, and I'm waiting on the Lord to heal me and make all things right. He goes on to say, once the hurt is lodged, it takes the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. You know, most things we should we should and can quickly forgive. But sometimes it, it lodges, and this can be a real process. It's actually a spiritual discipline. Have you ever thought about forgiveness as a spiritual discipline? It is. It needs to become an everyday grace in our life. A spiritual discipline. It's helpful every night. Is there anyone I need to forgive? Is there anything I need to be forgiven for? And I've found it's really helpful just to say it out loud when I need to reiterate it. So we can make it a habitual choice and an everyday grace. Forgiveness is something we keep moving toward and we keep growing in by our partnership with the Holy Spirit. Last time I talked about the indwelling Christ, the incarnation. So, and by the way, we have to handle not just grievous things, but petty things as well. The little foxes can steal the grapes. Those small irritations, and they can build up in marriages and in other close relationships. And so we learn to practice this as a lifestyle choice, not keeping account of the wrong suffered, like 1 Corinthians 13 says, but disciplining ourselves against bitterness or, or against seeing another person as the enemy. And we can pray for grace to forgive. 
I gave the example of Leanne Payne that afternoon when she wrestled with this, praying for the grace to forgive and recognizing my power to forgive is derived from the one who forgave me everything. How can I not forgive when I've been forgiven everything and always will be? Christ was punished on my behalf. And so forgiveness is a part of his generosity, his very generous heart. And I too can be generous and magnanimous and offer his love to others. You know, why cramp our own heart? Magnanimity, generosity enlarges our heart. All right, I want to go back to Joseph that I brought up last time. We left him uh, just uh, ascending, as it were, to the throne as prime minister of uh, Egypt under Pharaoh. So now there's a famine in the land, just as he prophesied, and his father and brothers have nothing. And so his father sends uh, some of his brothers to Egypt because he's heard, oh, there's plenty in Egypt they're storing up. So his brothers come looking for provision for their families, not knowing their brother who they left for dead and then sold into slavery is the prime minister of the land. And he is in the perfect position to exact revenge and punish them. What does he do instead? He weeps, he welcomes them, he expresses forgiveness. Wow, he had allowed slavery and imprisonment not to make him bitter, but to keep his heart tender and to develop his character. And he even recognized God's purposes in it. And he realizes God has given him a family. He's given him two, two sons. So in Genesis 42, I think this is interesting. He names his son, 42, 51, and 52. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. Manasseh literally means making to forget. And he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Now, you think he still didn't have a memory of it? Yeah, he had a memory of it. But the Lord took the sting away and the pain away. Then the second son, he named Ephraim, Ephraim means fruitful, and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. <laughs> How many of us can say that? That is what we need to be able to say. In the land of my suffering, God enlarged me and gave me fruit. And that's really the key. Because Joseph forgave, he was able to tell his story redemptively. Now, Notice what he says to his brothers in Genesis 45. Now, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for what you did to me. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth to keep you alive by great deliverance. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. Wow. That's a man with the mind of the spirit. And then later, after the father died, they were still very worried. Oh, my goodness, now dad's dead. What's he going to do to us? And he said to them in Genesis 50, <clears throat> don't be afraid. Am I in God's place? I'm not in God's place of judgment or revenge. As for you, you meant evil against me. He told the truth. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
He didn't pretend they hadn't harmed him and harmed him greatly. He didn't whitewash their intent. He knew they had, but his trust in God trumped all that. It was so much greater than the effect of the harm they'd done because he knew God was faithful and would bring his good purposes to pass. And we can, we can do the same. We can stand in that same place, forgiving, saying, God, bring your good purposes out of that. So we're not just releasing someone. We're also saying, Lord, I release and bless them so you can bless and help me. And when we forgive, we know he's sovereign and he can bring good. Otherwise, our, for, our lack of forgiveness, our holding on to that bitterness really can be traced to us blaming God and having a lack of trust in him. You know, why did he allow this? And I shouldn't have this pain. We should all feel, you know, so entitled not to have pain, but we will. And, and so we're invited to trust him in it and thereby grow in our character and in our understanding of who the Lord is as we see him come through. When we forgive, we're crossing over into a supernatural grace of God. We're crossing out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And we can trust him to recycle our pain for his purposes, to turn evil into blessing and cause all things to work together for good and to cause his kingdom to be glorified, right? Um when Christians forgive the unforgivable, and and actually we're forgiving the person, okay? We're not forgiving evil. We don't forgive evil. We name the evil. We forgive the person. We're, sh we're showing something of God's character to the world they may not otherwise see. So I bless you. Maybe you've had a little bit of conviction as I've been talking about these two parts, and maybe you want to spend a little time with the Lord saying, where do I need to forgive and bless and trust you? And where do I need to be forgiven? So I bless you as you go about that with the Lord. Join me next time, please.